What's fluffy, sedated, and loves wet food? A cat. A cat on Xanax. That's right. Cat owners everywhere are using Xanax to reduce anxiety, aggression, and fear in their furry companions. This can be for a couple reasons. Maybe you're getting the main floor of your house renovated and the noise is so unsettling that your cat confines itself to the dusty underbelly of your living room couch. Or maybe you're taking Kitty on a plane during your move from coast to coast. Either way, just like in humans, the use of Xanax in felines can get them to chill real hard. The point here is that the use of benzodiazepines like Xanax is more prevalent than ever before and has made its way from being used on the wards for panic disorder to your favorite mumble rapper to Garfield? You're listening to the Hashtag Health Podcast. This is the first of a three-part series on Xanax and other benzodiazepines. In this episode, we'll be talking with Dr. Alan Francis, a psychiatrist who was the former chair of the Department of Psychiatry at the Duke University School of Medicine, and former chair of the DSM-4 Task Force. Dr. Francis was also the founding editor of the Journal of Personality Disorders and the Journal of Psychiatric Practice, as well as the author of the books Saving Normal and The Essentials of Psychiatric Diagnosis. The Hashtag Health Podcast is generously funded by the University Students Council at Western University and the Canadian Federation of Medical Students. Please note that the content of this podcast in no way constitutes medical advice or instruction. For any health-related questions or concerns, please contact your physician. We're going to kick off this episode by going over the history of Xanax. Xanax is known as Alprazolam. No, not Alakazam, Alprazolam. Although given its short onset of action of less than 60 minutes, some might say that it works like magic. Okay, so the benzodiazepines were, were highly advertised by the Sackler brothers. Uh, these are the same people who have been very much involved in the recent opioid epidemic. And there were three psychiatrists who were quite expert in public relations and actually owned the public relations firm. And they were instrumental in inventing most of the techniques of drug company marketing that have been so damaging today. So the uh, first example of a total push was the selling of the benzodiazepines. And this included statements to the effect that they were very useful not just for psychiatric disorder, but that they were also very useful for um, the, the problems of the anxiety of everyday life. They unleashed armies of, of drug salespeople into doctors' offices. They pushed the drug as being a cure-all for alcoholism because instead of the dangers of, to the brain of alcohol, you'd be taking a fairly benign and not very addictive drug, the benzodiazepines. And actually, I was in the position where I was a resident, and then even more so in the Army, running a large addiction program where we used the benzodiazepines appropriately for detox, but we also had the brilliant idea that it might be better for people to be hooked on benzodiazepines than hooked on alcohol. And we would continue the benzodiazepines after the period of detox and the thought that this would protect the brain from the dangers of alcohol and also that the benzodiazepines were less likely to kill people in overdose. Well, it turned out that many of the individuals that we hoped would be switched from the very harmful alcohol to the relatively harmless benzodiazepines got hooked on both. And that the benzodiazepines were very far from being harmless. That in combination with alcohol, they created a, a, a double sort of problem. The withdrawal became much more difficult from two rather than one substance. The uh, cumulative effects were much worse in terms of the sedation, driving under the influence of confusion, blackouts, and that what had been marketed as a very useful drug turned out to be a very harmful one. 
In the 1980s, a pharmaceutical company called Upjohn began international studies on Xanax and wanted to test out the idea if Xanax would be useful for panic disorder. Dr. Francis was in the unique position to see some of the data prior to its release, and what he found was concerning, to say the least. In 1997, Upjohn was acquired by Pfizer, the company that you'll find manufactures Xanax today. Dr. Francis goes on to say that currently, 5% of the adult population in the U.S. takes a benzodiazepine. That's huge. That's the same percentage of people in the U.S. who identify as vegetarian. Not surprisingly, benzodiazepine use has grown way faster than vegetarianism in the past few decades. For example, between the years 1996 and 2013, the number of adults who filled a benzodiazepine prescription increased by a whopping 67% from 8.1 million to 13.5 million. Not only have the prescriptions increased, but the quantity of benzodiazepines obtained more than tripled during that time period. It's, I think, a function of physician ignorance and carelessness. The way I put it brutally is that any idiot can prescribe a pill. It requires considerable art not to prescribe and time not to prescribe. And it requires the highest skill to be prescribed. Particularly all three are true of the benzodiazepines. The biggest problem one of the biggest problems in medicine today is the tremendous shortage of primary care doctors, which results in their being overwhelmed and overworked and underpaid and having almost no time with each patient. So the average primary care doctor in the state sees a patient for probably fewer than 10 minutes. And there are all sorts of records to fill out, and very little face time, very little explanation of the value of watchful waiting, normalizing anxiety, realizing that anxiety is part of life, and that if a person has something to be anxious about, that's not a mental disorder, and not necessarily something that you want to take away or treat. We're capable of feeling anxiety because it helps. If what didn't have evolutionary value, we wouldn't have such a capability of feeling it, and it protects us from doing dangerous things. It helps serve as a signal of trouble in our world that we need, need to deal with. So just eliminating anxiety from life would be dangerous in itself because we'd be losing that valuable signal. 
additional important thing to keep in mind is that the pill used to eliminate the anxiety in the long run is much more likely to do harm than good. And that it, if a person understands this, a patient understanding the risks of addiction will be much less likely to be pressuring for this magic pill. And a doctor who understands the risk of addiction much less likely to, to prescribe it. It takes time more time than most physicians have to explain all this to the patient, to provide advice and support, and perhaps sometimes to suggest psychotherapy. That all takes time, whereas giving a pill is something that can be done reflexly in a few minutes. And when doctors are rushed, they do the easiest thing, even if it's not not really in the long-term interest of the patient, not the, not the best thing. Also, I don't think doctors realize enough about the value of watchful waiting. It's very often patients come to your office on one of the worst days of your life, and whatever you give the patient, you're going to see benefits or nothing, giving nothing, mostly benefits in, in, in two weeks. People tend to regress to the mean of their discomfort. And the idea that it's important to give a pill to a person who has average expectable emotional distress on the first visit is, I think, counterproductive to, to good patient care. That most people will feel differently down the road a bit and giving a repeat appointment to see whether the medication is still going to be necessary is a much wiser medical choice for the doctor and certainly a much better choice for the patient. So remember how Dr. Francis initially said that Xanax was originally pushed as a cure for alcoholism and that in some cases this kind of led to a double whammy where people were dependent on both alcohol and Xanax. The worst part of the situation is the withdrawal. We polled Reddit about what it's like to be a longtime Xanax user, and one of the recurring themes echo what Dr. Francis has taught us so far, that dependence happens fast and easily, and that withdrawal is long and hard. One user says that, I developed a dependency in as little as six weeks, have never experienced dependency or addiction in any other setting, and withdrawals were the worst physical and psychological pain I've ever experienced in my life, and last approximately six months. At the time, I would have preferred to have just been dead. This is not going to be something that should be done in less than six months, and you might even consider taking a year, and the dosage reductions would be proportionate to the length of time that you have to, to gradually reduce them. And if you don't go very slowly in reducing the dose and do it in very tiny increments, any reduction in the dose will lead to anxiety that may have exceeded the anxiety that originally led to the use of the pill. Along with that may go all sorts of somatic symptoms, very similar to the somatic symptoms of alcohol withdrawal, with, with sweating, tremors. Some people will actually have seizures. The sudden withdrawal from a long-standing use of Xanax and high risk of, of, of seizures. The uh, discomfort's intense. The physical danger is intense. And this should never be done except under careful medical supervision and very, very slow. So anyone hearing this is uh, using these medicines should not think it's a good idea to stop them abruptly because they're likely to get into much more trouble than they ever dreamed of when they started. I should mention that many people hate the word addiction for that, feeling that it's uh, stigmatizing the individuals because it wasn't their fault and it wasn't. That they received the medicine antigenically, the doctors, and certainly they don't want to be seen as, nor should they be seen as, equivalent of people who come up through a very different route to, to, to the use of street drugs. On the other hand, I and they prefer the term dependent, making it clear that they're dependent physiologically on the medicine, but that physiological dependence came out of a, um, a legitimate prescription. 
I see it with addiction because I want to scare people off the use of it. I think that people should realize before they should protect themselves from careless doctors. And careless doctors should be aware of the risks they run. That these pills are highly addicting and that it's a very, very dangerous first step. Taking casually and carelessly to prescribe or to begin using uh, Xanax or any of the other, uh, especially Shredak and Gens, those are really all the best. That these are powerfully addicting drugs and that many people may get away with their use just as many people can socially drink without having to worry about alcohol. But there's enough of a downside risk and so little of an upside benefit that I can't imagine ever prescribing these medications for psychiatric patients. So we've covered a lot of the negatives associated with benzodiazepines like Xanax, but we have yet to discuss ways that they can be used appropriately. Most sources will say that indications for Xanax and other benzodiazepines include anxiety disorders and panic disorders. But Dr. Francis goes on to say that due to the high likelihood of dependence, that there may actually be very few good reasons to keep using them. There are very few good reasons for using them in psychiatry. There are indications in neurology and epilepsy and stuff, but in psychiatry, the uh, idea that they're useful for sleep, occasional sleep problems, I would recommend against, partly because you don't know which patient who begins them in an innocent way in a low dose will wind up being addicted. The idea that they're good to give for a panic disorder until the patient either feels more committed to the behavior, cognitive behavior therapy or to the SSRI that may be the more definitive treatment and that the few weeks on the medication will help get them into would be a, a treatment that would help over the long run. Too often the patient will become hooked on the medicine. So that I see little or no indication for benzodiazepines in psychiatry. There are a few people who can take them as needed in low doses and they feel, well, this is a wonderful med, but you can't predict who's going to be able to maintain that on a long-term basis. And it's just too dangerous from a public health standpoint that people who you start out low dose innocently enough hoping that it will help them with occasional anxiety or insomnia, that they won't become eventually dependent on it. And in fact, the latest uh, sort of tragedy related to Bezos, about a quarter of the overdose deaths occurring in the as part of the opioid epidemic, a quarter of the people also have Bezos on board. And so the... Benzos themselves are not lethal drugs required with enormous doses, but in combination with opioids or with alcohol, other CNS uh, depressants, they can contribute to the overdose rate. So these drugs, an important part of your medical school training, these drugs should not be started easily. They're very easy to start and very hard to stop, and that there has to be an excellent reason to ever think of using them, and probably from the perspective of the overall population, better if they were never invented. So there you have it. From the unsuccessful attempts of using Xanax to treat alcoholism to curbing the anxiety in your feline friends, we hope that this episode gives you a better understanding of one of the world's most popular and notorious drugs. If you enjoyed this episode of Hashtag Health, please consider giving us a rating or review and subscribing to our show. Keep an eye out for the next two parts of our Xanax series, where we'll discuss the cultural ties between Xanax and hip-hop music, and the co-usage of benzodiazepines with opioids. This episode was created by Mary Nguyen and me, your host, Nafis Hossein.